Chapter Six, Part Two of Constance Dunlap by Arthur B. Reeve. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The clairvoyance continued. First, she telephoned to DeForest Caswell at his office. It was an unconventional thing to do to ask him to call, but she made some plausible pretext. She was surprised to find that he accepted it without hesitating. It set her thinking. Drummond must have told him something of her, and he had thought this was as good a time as any to face her. In that case, Drummond would probably come, too. She was prepared. She had intended to have one last talk with Mildred, but had no need to call her. Utterly wretched, the poor little woman came in again to see her, as she had done scores of times before, to pour out her heart. Forrest had not come home to dinner, had not even taken the trouble to telephone. Constance did not say that she herself was responsible. "'Do you really want to know the truth about your dreams?' asked Constance, after she had prevailed upon Mildred to eat a little. "'I do know,' she returned. "'No, you don't,' went on Constance, now determined to tell her the truth, whether she liked it or not. "'That clairvoyant and Mr. Davies are in league, playing you for a sucker, as they say.' Mrs. Caswell did not reply for a moment. Then she drew a long breath and shut her eyes. "'Oh, you don't know how true what she says is to me. She—' "'Listen,' interrupted Constance. "'Mildred, I'm going to be frank, brutally frank. Madame Cassandra has read your character. Not the character as you think it is, but your unconscious, subconscious self. She knows that there is no better way to enter into the intimate life of a client, according to the new psychology, than by getting at and analyzing the dreams. And she knows that you can't go far in dream analysis—' without finding sex. It is one of the strongest natural impulses, yet subject to the strongest repression, and hence one of the weakest points of our culture. She is actually helping along your alienation for that broker. You yourself have given me the clue in your dreams. Only I am telling you the truth about them. She holds it back and tells you plausible falsehoods to help her own ends. She is trying to arouse in you those passions which you have suppressed, and she has not scrupled to use drug cigarettes with you and others to do it. You remember the breakfast dream, when I said that much could be tracked back to dreams? A thing happens. It causes a dream. That, in turn, sometimes causes action. No, don't interrupt. Let me finish first. Take the first dream, continued Constance, rapidly thrusting home her interpretation so that it would have its full effect. You dreamed that your husband was dying and you were afraid. She said it meant love was dead. It did not. The fact is that neurotic fear in a woman has its origin in repressed, unsatisfied love, love which for one reason or another is turned away from its object and has not succeeded in being applied. Then his death. That simply means that you have a feeling that you might be happier if he were away and didn't devil you. It is a survival of childhood when death is synonymous with absence. I know you don't believe it, but if you had studied the subject as I have in the last few days, you'd understand. Madame Cassandra understands. And the wall, that was Wall Street, probably, which does divide you two. You tried to get over it, and you fell. That means your fear of actually falling, morally, of being a fallen woman. Mildred was staring wildly. She might deny, but in her heart she must admit. The thing that pursued you, half-bull, half-snake, was Davies and his blandishments. I have seen him. I know what he is. The crowd in a dream always denotes a secret. He is pursuing you, as in the dream. 
but he hasn't caught you. He thinks there is in you the same wild, demi-mondane instinct that with many an ardent woman slumbers unknown in the back of her mind. Whatever you may say, you do think of him. When a woman dreams of breakfasting cozily with someone other than her husband, it has an obvious meaning. As for the messenger, and the message about the united traction, there too was a plain wish, and, as you must see, wishes in one form or another, disguised or distorted, lie at the basis of dreams. Take the coal fire. That, too, is susceptible of interpretation. I think you must have heard the couplet, No coal, no fire, so hotly glows, as the secret love that no one knows. Mildred Caswell had risen, an indignant flush on her face. Constance put her hand on her arm gently to restrain her, knowing that such indignation was the first sign that she had struck at the core of truth in her interpretation. My dear, she urged, I'm only telling you the truth, for your own sake, and not to take advantage of you as Madame Cassandra is doing. Please remember that the best evidence of your normal condition is just what I find, that absence of love would be abnormal. My dear, you are what the psychologists call a consciously frigid, unconsciously passionate woman. Consciously you reject this Davies. Unconsciously you accept him. And it is the more dangerous, although you do not know it, because someone else is watching. It was not one of his friends who told your husband. Mrs. Caswell had paled. Is, is there a detective? she faltered. Constance nodded. Mildred had collapsed completely. She was sobbing in a chair, her head bowed in her hands, her little lace handkerchief soaked. What shall I do? What shall I do? There was a sudden tap at the door. Quick, in there, whispered Constance, shoving her through the portieres into the drawing-room. It was Forrest Caswell. For a moment Constance stood irresolute, wondering just how to meet him. Then she said, "'Good evening, Mr. Caswell. I hope you will pardon me for asking you to call on me. But as you know, I've come to know your wife. Perhaps better than you do.' "'Not better,' he corrected, seeming to see that it was directness that she was aiming at. "'It is bad enough to get mixed up badly in Wall Street. But what would you yourself say? You are a businesswoman. What would you say about getting into the clutches of a, a dream doctor? And worse?' He had put Constance on the defensive in a sentence. "'Don't you ever dream?' she asked quietly. He looked at her a moment, as if doubting even her mentality. "'Lord!' he exclaimed in disgust. "'You, too, defend it?' "'But don't you dream?' she persisted. "'Why, of course I dream,' he answered somewhat petulantly. "'What of it? I don't guide my actions by it.' "'Do you ever dream of Mildred?' she asked. "'Sometimes.' "'Ever of other... er... people?' she pursued." "'Yes,' he replied. "'Sometimes of other people. But what has that got to do with it? I cannot help my dreams. My conduct I can help, and I do help.' Constance had not expected him to be frank to the extent of taking her into his confidence. Still, she felt that he had told her just enough. She discerned a vague sense of jealousy in his tone, which told her more than words that whatever he might have said or done to Mildred he resented, unconsciously, the manner in which she had striven to gain sympathy outside. Fortunately, he knows nothing of the new theories, she said to herself. Mrs. Dunlap, 
he resumed, since you have been frank with me, I must be equally frank with you. I think you are far too sensible a woman not to understand in just what a peculiar position my wife has placed me. He had taken out of his pocket a few sheets of closely typewritten tissue paper. He did not look at them. Evidently, he knew the contents by heart. Constance did not need to be told that this was a sheaf of the daily reports of the agency for which Drummond worked. He paused. She had been watching him searchingly. She was determined not to let him justify himself first. "'Mr. Caswell,' she persisted in a low, earnest tone, "'don't be so sure that there is nothing in this dream business. Before you read me those papers from Mr. Drummond, let me finish.' Forrest Caswell almost dropped them in surprise. "'Dreams,' she continued, seeing her advantage, "'are wishes, either suppressed or expressed. Sometimes the dream is frank and shows an expressed wish. Other times it shows a suppressed wish, or a wish which in its fulfillment in the dream is disguised or distorted. You are the cause of your wife's dreams. She feels in them anxiety. And, according to the modern psychologists who have studied dreams carefully and scientifically, fear and anxiety represent love repressed or suppressed. She paused to emphasize the point, glad to note that he was following her. That clairvoyant, she went on, has found out the truth. True, it may not have been the part of wisdom for Mildred to have gone to her in the first place. I pass over that. I do not know whether you or she was most to blame at the start. But that woman, in the guise of being her friend, has played on every string of your wife's lonely heart, which you have wrung until it vibrates. Then, she hastened on, came your precious friend Drummond. Drummond, who has, no doubt, told you a pack of lies about me. You see that? She had flung down on the table a cigarette which she had managed to get at Madame Cassandra's. Smoke it. He lighted it gingerly, took a puff or two, puckered his face, frowned, and rubbed the lighted end on the fireplace to extinguish it. What is it? he asked suspiciously. Hashish, she answered tersely. Things were not going fast enough to suit either Madame Cassandra or Drummond. Madame Cassandra helped along the dreams by a drug noted for its effect on the passions. More than that, added Constance, leaning over toward him and catching his eye, Madame Cassandra was working in league with a broker, as so many of the fakers do. Drummond knew it, whether he told you the truth about it or not. That broker was a swindler named Davies. She was watching the effect on him. She saw that he had been reserving this for a last shot at her, that he realized she had stolen his own ammunition and appropriated it to herself. They were only too glad when Drummond approached them. There you are, three against that poor little woman. No, four, including yourself. Perhaps she was foolish, but it was not so much to her discredit as to those who cast her adrift when she had a natural right to protection. Here was a woman with passions which she herself did not understand, and a little money, alone. Her case appealed to me. I knew her dreams. I studied them. Caswell was listening in amazement. It is dangerous to be with a person who pays attention to such little things, he said. Evidently Drummond himself must have been listening. The door buzzer sounded, and he stepped in, perhaps to bolster up his client, in case he should be weakening. As he met Constance's eye, he smiled superciliously and was about to speak. But she did not give him time even to say good evening. Ask him, she cried, her eyes flashing for she realized that it had been part of the plan to confront her, 
perhaps worm out of her just enough to confirm Drummond's own story to Caswell. Ask him to tell the truth, if he is capable of it, not the truth that will make a good daily report of a hired shadow who colors his report the way he thinks his client desires it, but the real truth. Mr. Caswell, interrupted Drummond, this woman. Mr. Drummond, cried Constance, rising and shaking the burnt stub of the little gold-banded cigarette at him to impress it on his mind. Mr. Drummond, I don't care whether I am a, a she-devil, she almost hissed the words at him, but I have evidence enough to go before the district attorney of this city and the grand jury and get indictments for conspiracy against a certain clairvoyant and a bucket-shop operator. To save themselves, they will probably tell all they know about a certain crook who has been using them. Caswell looked at her, amazed at her denunciation of the detective. As for Drummond, he turned his back on her, as if to ignore her utterly. "'Mr. Caswell,' he said bitterly, "'in those reports—' "'Forrest Caswell,' insisted Constance, rising and facing him, "'if you have in that heart of yours one shred of manhood, it should move you. You, this man, the others, have placed in the path of a woman every provocation, every temptation for financial, physical, and moral ruin. She has consulted a clairvoyant, yes.' She has speculated, yes, yet she was proof against something greater than that. And I know, because I know her unconscious self, which her dreams reveal, her inmost soul, I know her better than you do, better than she does herself. I know that even now she is as good and true and would be as loving as... Constance had paused and taken a step toward the drawing-room. Before she knew it, the portiers flew apart, and an eager little woman had rushed past her and flung her arms about the neck of the man. Caswell's features were working as he gently disengaged her arms, still keeping one hand. Half shoving her aside, ignoring Constance, he had faced Drummond. For a moment the brazen detective flinched. As he did so, DeForest Caswell crumpled up the mass of tissue paper reports and flung them into the fireplace. "'Get out!' he said, suppressing his voice with difficulty. "'Send me your bill.' I'll pay it. But mind, if it is one penny more than it should be, I'll, I'll fight if it takes me from the district attorney and the grand jury to the highest court of the state. Now go. Caswell turned slowly again toward his wife. I've been a brute, he said simply. Something almost akin to jealousy rose in Constance's heart as she saw Mildred safe at last. Then Caswell turned slowly to her. You, he said, stroking his wife's hand gently, but looking at Constance, you are a real clairvoyant. End of chapter 6